0: Good morning. Uh, we've got a Saturday morning here, July 10th, 2021. Um, back after post breakfast, and I think uh, we left off in somewhere around 1987. Your uh, brother had gotten uh, diagnosed leukemia, and I know you had headed over to Holland to volunteer to be a bone marrow transplant.
1: Yeah, the, uh, oh gosh, we had 43, episode 43 already. Yeah, I uh, I got a message that uh, that Harry was diagnosed with, yep. with leukemia. And uh, uh, I read her or whatever that it was something that uh, they needed bone marrow matching bone marrow for. And. Being my brother, I thought well there is a good chance that I may be, uh, be a good candidate for it, and why not? so I can go see him at the same time and uh but the the doctor asked my age, and he told me right off the yep. bat he said, well you're not uh you're not the candidate for bone marrow donation, even if it does have a perfect match because you're too old." I don't know if that is all also visible in the bone marrow, but in any way, um, uh, I did see him, and uh, things worked out okay. Uh, uh, he, uh, I, I went to visit him several times, and I also went, of course, to visit other family. Even though it was getting to be a bit of a habit to go back home, all of a sudden you go and. Then you go every so many years, and uh, uh, when he when he came home, he sent me a letter saying that if I can be uh, cancer-free because it's uh, it's a form of cancer leukemia, and for ten years, then you got licked. And uh, because we didn't know it, I've seen him several times. He he came over to Canada every chance he had because he loved it here. And uh, uh, it was almost nine years to the day that when he yeah. died uh, in '96. So, uh, but he had nine years that were practically pain-free and, uh, well, pain, there was really not pain. He was always very, very tired, and that is how they discovered that uh, it could be leukemia, and it turned out it was. It seems that it, uh, in the end he was so tired that he was actually, uh, he, he couldn't live anymore. He just seemed to have died that way. But anyway, uh, yeah, that was uh, in, in in 87 yeah in eighty seven i went back and uh in that uh, in that same year i think that was uh time was in 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 uh university in peterborough and uh i remember <laughs> one time at uh well i was late at night uh uh, i don 't know exactly what time, but it was rather late because it was eleven o 'clock by the time I got to Peterborough to the bus station in Peterborough, where she said she was waiting for the for the last bus to come, and I told her to stay there until I got there uh, and uh, no, but I want to come home I said i know but i'll uh, i 'm coming over, so I drove out, and it was eleven o 'clock when I got there. And I think that was around about the same time that the bus was due. And uh, I kind of talked her into staying and that she would get over the homesickness. And uh, so anyway, it it was a, a bit of a coincidence. I believe that while I was in Holland, her and mom, went to buy uh, a car for her, a Chevette civ- in Ajax. And so she had her own transportation and uh, she could drive back and forth. That uh, that was one of the things that might keep her there and finish her school. So uh, that was not a bad idea, I never thought of it, they did. And uh, how would it worked, <laughs> I don't know. Between the two of them, they had to do the bargaining with the salesman, but uh, the thing is, I believe, still alive. Uh, but uh, a, a lot of things seemed to seemed to happen at the time. Uh, uh, it was in that same year that a friend of mine, a school friend, great school friend, uh, Jan Vlut, and he lived in California with uh, his wife, that was Fun's brother, and uh, they came over for a visit. So we did what we always do, we go here, there, and everywhere. We had a nice visit at uh, Cullen Gardens, and uh, old Len Cullen, he was in Holland for during liberation, and he saw the little Maduro dam in Holland, they made like a, a village that was a miniature kind of village. And uh, and he was very much impressed by that. Uh, the, every house in that village was uh, an existing house somewhere. It had a fire hall and it had a town hall and it had everything, but the, the things were only, uh, at the most, knee high and uh, and it had a railroad track, it had roads and all kinds of vehicles going. It was a beautiful thing, you could stand there, look down and see a village life happening as if you're up in in, in a helicopter looking down on the goings-on in the village. And that was all made for... Uh... So anyway, Len owned a good chunk of property there on Highway 12, and uh, he, he made a... And he had he made a that a copy of that Maduro Dam right here in Canada, and and then uh, his property, he got a, a different like a different idea. Uh, he brought in bigger buildings, um, historic buildings. In fact, I had one that uh, uh, made it easy; He just picked it up and had it brought over. To his grounds where people could go and see and uh saved me the trouble of demolishing it. And at the same time, of Heritage was saved. But uh it got to be a very popular place. He spent quite a bit of money to to make it that way, but uh Cullen Gardens as it was called, but uh, uh I don't know if it was called yeah, Cullen Gardens. Uh, and it was very popular. There was a lot of people went there, especially the first few years. Uh, but later on, unfortunately, it got sold off. The property got so valuable that uh, he was better off to collect the millions that it was worth, than, rather than uh, having the headache of running the, that company to, to to have those gardens operate and they had a heck of a nice restaurant in it. Uh, I enjoyed the restaurant. I had good food. It was uh, pleasant. You could uh, look out. You could actually, if you sat in the right place, you could see the village, that little uh, miniature village going around. And, uh, yeah, that was in 87 as well. Uh, You said this was Jan Bloot? Johan Vloes, yeah, yeah, he uh, he's dead now. But uh Johan and I we were uh uh during the war we were kept inside Skulls told us we had we, we got punished for whatever we did and we had to write some lines and uh, like a hundred lines and mm. then after he comes back from his supper uh, he would check it and then we could go home. But it turned out that uh uh once he was gone and the rest was gone. And it was just him and me sitting there. Uh, and soon enough, we had our lines written and uh, we go and look in the cupboard and we go and look in another classroom and uh, uh, we look outside and there is the garden of the butcher who lived mm-hmm. next door. And uh, uh, we saw this box of vitamin C tablets. And they uh, during the war... The schools were all getting these vitamins, so the kids were good and healthy for Hitler's army. And uh, boy, if we get one every week, we get one of those vitamin C pills. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we, if we eat a few more, we would be healthy. You know, the mind of a young kid. So uh, they were sour, but uh, they don't taste bad. And you have another one. And there's a box of 500 tablets in one box, a white box. And uh, uh you want another one? Yeah, yeah, no, it is not too bad. Yeah, if you let it melt in your mouth, uh don't chew on it. Well but I can have another one and I'll chew on it and so anyway we uh we didn't finish the box but we had quite a few each. And uh of course we didn't know at the time that you can get a very bad diarrhoea if you eat that many vitamin pills mm-hmm. that because they're not meant to be a meal. And by six o'clock, uh, Charles hadn't come back yet. But he probably forgot about us. So we opened the window and we jumped from there into the garden of the butcher and then walked along his house and out and we went home. And uh, he never said anything the next day and he never even noticed that we had been at his vitamin box. But... Uh, yeah, that was that Johan Bluth who came to visit us, him and yeah. Marie. Yeah. And uh, so we went to Cullen Gardens and of course we had a lot to talk about, uh, Marie being Funt's sister mm-hmm. and I knew her from back home very well. So And, uh, and of course, Johan as well. So we had a great old time and mum got to... Find out a lot of things about my younger years that she never knew um, however she liked it and uh, yeah that was that was in eighty seven uh, uh,
0: So he grew up. He grew up in and then he moved to California.
1: Just to clarify, that's where he. No, Johan. a funny thing. He. Uh, it's around the same time. We went to Australia. Yeah. I went to Canada, and Johan went to New Zealand. Oh okay. And we were more or less on we were in the same classroom, mm-hmm. except uh, uh, Johan was supposed to be one class higher, but you had several classes in one room because. Right. The village was too small to have uh you would have very small classrooms or you have to put them together and mm-hmm. uh it saved on a teacher. So anyway, uh Johan was sitting in the in in the in the higher class, and then Wiel and I were in the same class, and uh, so we knew each other, but funny how life can go. We never dreamt that we would ever leave the village, you yeah. know, when you're a kid. But well, that's where you were born, you're raised. Uh, well, that's where you stay. Like all the other people, they lived here all their life. We thought, and uh, the, the war is over, and and not too long, and all of a sudden, well, you go, you emigrate, you emigrate. So I got the idea to go to Canada. we wanted to go to uh, New Zealand, actually, where his brother was, but uh, he couldn't go there because he was not a farmer. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a watchmaker, and he went to Australia with the idea that once I'm in Australia and I know the language very much like I did, uh, then I can hop across and go to New Zealand. That's where he wanted to go. He wanted to be with his brother. Not that they got along so great, Mm -hmm. but uh, it was family. And and, uh, one of his sisters went to New Zealand too. But uh, we never left because he made out pretty good in in Australia, so uh, he stayed put. Uh, and uh, Johan went to New Zealand, and he didn't like it. He was working for a sheep farmer. I think he had sponsored him, and he needed help on the farm. And him and his youngest brother, they, Joseph, the two of them, went to New Zealand. And the two of them got to talk, and they worked for different people. But uh, uh and Jan said, well, I want to go to California because he heard California, you know, that's uh, Hollywood and all the rest of it, mm. it, a terrific climate. And so he wanted to go to California. The two of them got together and they uh, they went to California. And But Jan never had any children. And uh, later on, he decided to, go back home because uh, he didn't have any kids that kept him here and uh, well, it, uh, uh, it, it's, he was, the, the whole Vloot family and the Christians family, they were so much part of the the, the, the history of the village. So he would come in and he would write uh, back in the old swing of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, my parents were kind of like immigrants. they came from uh a different province, and that was a big thing in those days back in the early the early nineteen hundreds and uh so uh instead of he lived in Holland maybe uh a couple of months and uh, uh he had done very well in in uh in, in California he uh having no kids and Marie worked for uh that big bank with the horse, what she called? Uh, uh, one of the big banks in the in the States. And uh so she had a good income, he had a good income, he worked for a for a pharmaceutical company and worked in the lab. Mm-hmm. So uh well they had to do something with the money and he invested and it was at a good time in history because things were booming and uh so he had a good part of money now when he came back home uh to stay he uh, uh what am i gonna do with that money because the the dutch government is not like any other government they uh, they, got, they know how much money you have. There is no way that you're going to get anything in there without the government knowing. If you want to know how much money you have, phone the government. They can tell you better than you can yourself. So he uh, he decided he was going to Belgium and Belgium was a lot freer. It's, it's a totally different in that respect. Mm-hmm. So um, he bought a house in Belgium in Ravens. It was just across the border, not too far from Eindhoven. But it was in Belgium and uh, there he, it is a nice beautiful house. I went there a couple of times on, on during holidays and uh, 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 then Marie died and he decided that he had to sell the house. Too many memories or whatever. And uh, I always felt bad that he did sell it because there was a guy a restaurant not too not too far away from here in, in Ravens and they made the best hachee that I ever tasted it even rivaled the ones that my mom made and that means it was a hellish good hachee and a lot of time he Jan would drive out and say I'm going over to, uh, to the restaurant what would you like that and I always had the same thing. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't beat that. I say. So I always had it. And everybody, like his brother Tone, would come along. Fun was there. Marie was there. So we all sit together and we have uh, uh, our supper. Takeout uh, never used to be, but uh, they got on to the American way of life. You have takeout, and uh, but he he moved to. What the heck? It was uh, it to uh, the edge, near, quite near Luxembourg, on the uh, almost on the other side. And uh, instead of going to Eindhoven to go across to Raves, we had to go all the way south to the south of Holland, and then go near Maastricht, go across the border, and and uh, to where he was living then, and he had a, a, a log house and that had just been built and he bought it brand new and uh, well, he had to invest his money somewhere, somehow. And uh, one of my trips after Marie was gone and Johan was there alone, and we went to Luxembourg and that was a whole new experience. Because Luxembourg, small country, but everything is so different from Belgium and Holland even though the three countries were called the Benelux, Belgium, uh, Netherlands, Luxembourg, uh, uh, they were the early countries where the, the European Union grew out of that later on. But, uh, uh, yeah, he said one day, let us go to Luxembourg, well, what's in Luxembourg? Well, we can go to that. There is uh like a, a a place where they had an old convent for priests, like a, 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 whatever they called it here. Uh, but that was in, in Clairvaux. Uh, so a bit more Frenchies. And Clairvaux is a beautiful town. And uh, we went to visit there. And you could go through that building where all those priests and brothers used to live mm-hmm. uh, way back when. And uh, it was a historic kind of a place. We had a a beautiful, uh, beautiful day there. That fun uh, uh, um, really liked, but fun was always big on history and uh, and anything uh, close. He he would never have made a, a, an immigrant. He couldn't separate himself from the old country. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, it. Uh, yeah, uh, I have some pictures from Clairvaux. Uh, I One thing that I remember, I couldn't believe that they had a big garden near that convent. Yep. Let's call it convent. And uh, it had a brick wall all around it. And had ivy growing up on it and over it. You couldn't look in the garden. It was about what uh, eight feet high, and uh, and it was big. But uh, you you come driving in, and and there is this brick wall. But in Europe, you never know what behind the wall, what what, what what's it for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it happened to be the wall. Later on, we found out the wall around their garden, and uh, those your uh, brothers, those religious brothers, they they grew all kind of herbs and and stuff that they used for medicine way back. That was the, uh, they were also called upon to, to kind of play doctor, mm-hmm. the herbal uh, medicine. Yep. And uh, and then they grew their, their own food, of course, as well. Uh, and we went downstairs and uh, they had different pictures of how the Germans had turned that whole building into their headquarters. And
0: uh, that was
1: a horrible experience for them. Fortunately, nothing got bombed or shot out of, you know, like it was damaged by the war. Yeah. Uh, not physically, just spiritually. Uh, we had, uh, we always had places to go uh, when uh when I when I went back home, mm-hmm. uh, uh, once I'm... Uh, Have you seen the Delta Works, uh, Fun said. I said, no, but I heard about it. I said, that is quite the construction. In fifty three, they had these floods in, in Holland. And the dikes broke. And, of course, the land being... The dikes broke because the land was lower mm-hmm. than the sea the North Sea, and uh, so if they build a dike, they could pump the water out. That's why they had all those windmills in a couple of centuries ago to keep on pumping the water across the dike back into the sea, and the land could be cultivated for agriculture because it was a small country and you could make it that much bigger. So that is why they had the Delta Works, and when it comes to uh, fighting water, I think the Dutch have a little edge over the rest. Anyway, they built the the, the gates so that
0: uh, yeah,
1: they, they it went from there were several islands in Zeeland and you can go by bridge from one island to another. They but they also had the what they call the Delta Works to stop the sea from coming in. You didn't need the dike anymore. There was a dike inside, but those gates, and they were an unbelievable building, unbelievable structure. And that helped in in case of a spring tide. So if you had the moon pulling the tides up too high, it would be too big a force on the dikes. The dikes couldn't hold and it cost thousands of lives at the time. I went to see it a hell of a mess in 53 and uh, so uh, uh, we went to see the Delta works and they uh, Holland didn't have any rocks or anything it was all slip you know like um, stuff that comes from the mountains in Mm. Germany and Belgium and Luxembourg and it washed down the rivers and uh, over the ages uh, there is a piece of country and well, it was called the Netherlands. And uh, uh, so there is not too many rocks, but they needed a lot of rocks because those things that they built, I don't know how high they were, but uh, quite high in those gates. Story,
0: two-story? Pardon? you have kind of approximation, like a two-story, three-story? Oh, uh, uh, something
1: tells me. Fifty stories? I have no idea. It, uh, I'm not sure whether it uh, is true or not, but something tells me 300 feet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, But I may be off. I don't know. I have a paper somewhere with the details on it, but well, I saved it when I went to visit here. But uh, those gates could be hydraulically pulled up and let down uh, just to ease the whole thing. Uh, Because between the dike and the sea... uh, uh, that was free, but the high tide came up. Then they closed the gates and the water wouldn't be pushing against the dikes and they wouldn't break right. and we were safe. But the the size of that structure, and it was long, I don't know. Those columns, they, they had an island there, they, an artificial island. They built that right in the middle of the whole thing. And on that island is where they built... Those huge concrete columns, mm-hmm. and uh, 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 when they were ready, they were lifted up. I don't know how many hundreds and maybe thousands of tons that each column weighed. And they made a special boat, and that looked like a horseshoe, and it would come around that column, and then they had. Uh, you just have to see it to believe it,
0: yeah.
1: and they hydraulically. The columns were lifted up just enough that they were clear off the soil. And then the boat would go over because the upward pressure of the water took so many kilograms of weight off the column mm-hmm. because otherwise the boat would have, if you had to push it above the water, I don't think the boat would have been able to do that it, it, because it would have sunk. But the, everything was calculated to, to the, the finest details. And they dropped them in, but where they placed them, they had to make a big pad. And they had another boat to suck up the silt so that it got to be a little bit solid. Then they had other boats picking up rocks in Norway, of all places. And in Norway, well, they got all kinds of rocks. So they, and they needed the big sizes like that you can only lift with a, with a backhoe or so or a bulldozer and then the smaller ones until you had a big enough pad to say 100 feet across and then you had the final gravel and that's and it was absolutely totally exactly level because when you hung a plumb line from the top those that plumb line that's how they tested it and they kept fussing until they had it in the exact spot because if the thing tilted a bit, the gaze would not move up and down. It wouldn't work. And there was an engineer that guided us. I went there once before with uh, with my brother Harry and his friend uh, Hank Klauer. And he uh, uh, when we went around there, the, we went with a group, and the engineer was explaining how that uh, the the fine engineering details Mm -hmm. of building that monstrous uh, construction and uh, I found it extremely interesting and uh, uh, yeah that was the Delta Works and they never had any water problems since and I don't know if they because uh, spring tide was not a common thing but uh, there there was two natural events that at that time happened to work together and uh, uh to make it really bad there was a storm at the same time and the storm was coming in off the ocean off the north sea going inland and uh it kind of blew the water up just high enough to uh to cost the uh, the dike and eventually wash it away and well the next thing you know the the dike breaks and There's hell to pay. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, that was in, uh, when I went there with, uh, with Fun and Johan, that was in the 80s, in the late 80s, I think. Mm. Uh, um, Then it was also, I think it was 87 when Tam graduated from university. I may be wrong, but I think that is about around that time because I believe that was also when she started. She worked, she graduated, she worked for GM. She got hired by GM in Oshawa and worked in the head office there. And uh, GM and uh and Suzuki had a, a combined company called Kami in Ingersoll and GM sent her to work at Kami in Ingersoll close by Tilsenburg here and uh but at the time what did I know and uh but so that's where she had to go and that's where she went and uh I I think she uh yeah she she went to she lived in she worked at Cami but I think she was going out with this guy Joe Joey Salters in fact that's the guy that she married in 1990 in I believe in in the summer in August or something in 1990 uh, Joe and her got married, and they they bought a house in Ingersoll, but before they got married, Tam lived with a Chinese lady, and all I remember is that she called her Lou. Lou was her name, however it was spelled, I don't know. Probably L-U or L-I-U or whatever. Anyhow, uh, then they got married and they had uh, an apartment in London and uh, Joe and 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 Tam. And then they bought a house because uh Joe's mother uh, helped him with buying a house. And, uh, she kind of insisted on it and, uh, whether that was the best thing, I don't know. In hindsight, yes. Because I remember in 1990, the wedding was in Whitby and, uh, my brother and my cousin and my cousin's wife, uh, my cousin's husband, sorry, uh, they came over for the for the uh wedding celebration mm-hmm. and uh uh so everything was going fine. They move into the house in Ingersoll and uh they get married in August or thereabouts and it, here comes Christmas and they're living in this house that they had bought not too long ago. And uh, we were going to celebrate Christmas. We were invited over at their place. And so we went there. And Joe's parents were there. And brother and sister or whatever. And something went wrong with the meal. Whatever it was, uh, uh, the one thought that the other had turned the oven on or whatever. But the oven didn't get on in time. And the turkey wasn't done. And uh, I thought, Mom, don't say anything. The kids are married now. It is it is out of our hands. It not, has nothing to do with us. Leave them be. We'll eat a bit later. Who cares? But Joe's mom was uh, reasoning differently, I guess. And uh, she felt that she had a right to say because they invested some money in the down payment or what have you. And uh, she started to lay into them. And that is something that now you make it my business because you are talking to my daughter in a way that I cannot approve of. And uh, um, no. So I bit my lip and uh, I went for a walk. I still have the letter opener that I made out of a chunk of wood that I saw somebody had piled against the back fence in his backyard. And I couldn't believe my eyes. There is a pile of walnut, firewood. They had to cut into firewood chunks. And the guy was in his backyard and I says, excuse me, would you mind if I took one of these pieces? I said, this is walnut, isn't it? Oh yeah, he says, black walnut is from the street here. And make good firewood is hard. I said, No, I know, but I would I wouldn't mind because I thought I could cut a piece out and mm. make something out of a black walnut. It's not the cheapest thing, it's twelve dollars a board foot in the lumber yard in Oshawa. So I uh, I took that chunk home and I made a letter opener out of it. And I still have that letter opener the front. But anyway, we came back and it was a very Unpleasant Christmas, which should have been a very nice Christmas, but it seemed that everything was wrong. Uh, There was an animosity. And uh, it wasn't long after that, and Sam just walked out of the whole thing. She she said, uh, If this is what marriage is all about, I don't need this. So uh, she let us know, and uh, then one day, uh oh uh Mom's brother lived in State College Pennsylvania, and uh he had no kids and he had this car and it was uh a white a white fort I forget the name of it the, what model but uh he knew that it was a nicer looking car than but uh yeah, but then, but I had a pickup truck, and uh, so we we had a car, but it was not not as nice as the car that he was trading in. He was buying a new one. He was uh, he knew he wasn't getting the value out of it, and he had all kinds of money. He was just like Johan. He invested this money. You got to do something, and he said to Shirley, his wife. He said, I'm going to give this car to my sister. She can come and pick it up because this car is still better than what they have and then it would be safer for her as she can drive around, blah, blah. So anyway, that is what happened. Then we went to pick up the car. And that was around the time that uh, Joey and Tam were not split, I don't think. Uh, they. Joey was desperate to to keep it going, to make a go of it, Mm -hmm. but Tam, it took, uh, she had been so hurt by that Christmas event that it took a little bit more, and, uh, but Joey offered to drive us to, uh, because we had to get to State College somehow, to pick up that car, and uh, uh, to drive there and then and then, mom driving the other vehicle, and then driving in the states. That was not an option. So, uh, Joey volunteered to drive us there, and it was nice. And we stayed there overnight one time, and then one night, and then the next day, we drove back, and we just followed Joey home back to to Canada. And uh, but uh, and the rest, well, that was their business. We didn't even ask any questions. To uh, but uh, uh, he had volunteered to take us, and Joey was a nice guy. He was very passive in a way I can understand because <coughs> uh, he couldn't be uh, other than that with a mother like he had. And she may have been a good lady, but uh, uh, not for the sake of the kids. And uh, it, it it didn't vibe with mom and I either. So. Anyway, Tam shortly after decided that she was going to move to Tilsenburg because Tilsenburg-Ingersall was not too far apart and uh, uh, Delavan-Crescent. She said she was living in, on Delavan-Crescent. I had never been in Tilsenburg in my life. so But we had that car from Matt and uh, it was... a. Uh, a nice car, and uh, uh, why don't you come and see us? I still have pictures of it, and I, I cherish those pictures. That's Tam's very first experience with Tilsenberg, and it was our very first time going into that Tilzenberg that Stomp and Tom was mm-hmm. singing about. So, we went to see her in Delavan Cassand, and I think, yeah, it was upstairs, and uh, It was around that time too. (laughs) Uh, I have to mention it to make it complete. But apparently Tam had run into a guy in Kami. And she came from GM head office and somehow uh, they didn't see eye-to-eye eye. and later on it reminded me of Brandel and the dog in the park in Brooklyn anyway. Uh, it wasn't long after that and we were living on Ivy 2 there in Whitby and she asked us, well we meanwhile found out that she had, she and Joe had split Then uh, Joe's mom phoned us and we will not stand for it and we got to keep it going. I says there is nothing that we can keep going because it's up to the kids. If they cannot see eye to eye, then they shouldn't live in misery for the rest of their lives. They might as well split before they get children because the kids are the ones that always pay the price. So I said, no, I leave the decision up to them. Anyway... uh, is it okay? I met this guy in Kami, and uh, I have gone out with him a couple of times. She was quite straightforward about it. And I would like to... I would like you to meet him. Uh, could we come down on... Well, I think it was on a Sunday. Well, yeah, probably, of course. And I remember after, and I noticed... When she came in, she uh, whoever was driving, they turned around at the shed or wherever and parked with the nose towards the road. Uh, well, uh, always trying to work ahead. Mom always did that too. Uh, set the table for a supper time and it was five hours away. Anyhow, uh, they come in and, uh, hi, mum, hi, Dad. This is... Uh, uh, the The guy I was talking about uh is Rick bull and uh Rick this is my parents so hi how are you doing I' doing so we sat down and uh and you may very well remember because you were that same I was Rick. there I was there you're sure you were there for sure that's why the nose was towards the awesome, old because Dan didn't know how old fashioned we were or what because. In the old days, you didn't just split. and uh, certainly not after a half a year. You, it's your bet, You lie in it. Uh, but we didn't see it that way. And the the happiness of our children was first and foremost. But Tam didn't know. And she was afraid that it might... And she probably knew that red guy better than, than we did because we never saw him before. And uh, so uh, I wonder... It, but I always had, uh, I always got blamed. Uh, so what is Dad gonna say? Well, Mum, uh, whatever Dad says, Mum will go along with it. And uh, I said, but uh, you, you just got married to Joey, and whatever the the conversation was, and I was talking to Tam because, well. The, it was her life that I was concerned about uh, uh, because she had just before gotten married and then they split and uh, what's happening to you? And, and all of a sudden, and I was shocked out of my boots. I never would have expected that. And you got up, yeah, you were that rich guy and you got up and... You you actually stood up and said, look straight at me. I don't want you to talk to like that to my future wife. It shocked the hell out of me. I, what the hell are you talking about, future wife? Well, of course, two and two is four. You're going out. The possibility is far better than going out with the guy next door. And I was so shocked that I didn't have an answer. It's a good thing I didn't, because... It turned out that not too long after uh, her and you got married and it wasn't long after and there comes our first grandson and it wasn't long after that and we got the second one and as luck would have it a couple of years later there was our second granddaughter Sonja had the first grandchild and uh so it uh, I never would have guessed at the time that things could go I thought, boy, things look bad, time deserves a lot better than this, and why did she get to marry to Joey, and why does she have to uh, uh, why can't she leave the kids alone and meddle in their affairs and because I thought well that Joey was a nice enough guy, he was very friendly, was very polite. Uh, but, okay, if they, uh, Tam, actually, uh, uh, Joey may have come on strong compared to the guy that she once went out with when she was in, in, uh, in Peterborough. Uh, Bob Cole, I think his name was. And, uh, Bob was, uh, he was a nice enough guy, but he was, uh, too, uh, uh, too subservient, let's say. Uh, uh, Tam needed uh, somebody that she could lean on. She was, she had an emotional makeup that she could not take the wheel if if it wasn't called upon in an emergency. In everyday life, she needed somebody who was behind the wheel all the time. And uh, it turns out that Joey wasn't his, his mama. Was. So it's, it's up to her. And here is... This red guy, as mom would say, dingus, and, <laughs> and uh, the way he talked to me I thought that's what Dan needs, that is what she is looking for, but she was never in GM before, she could have never known, just uh, uh, fate, uh, this, uh, the Germans would call it Chicksal, it is just fate. and. Uh, So, yeah, they they got married and, well, here we are sitting at the same table and uh, I have been very happy. In fact, uh, it was not too long after that the kids were all gone. John uh, got married and uh, so there was nobody home and Tim phoned and suggested Mm -hmm. that no, we we went back and forth almost every week, driving back and forth for a while. When I had eye problems uh, with the train, and uh, then Temp suggested that if you're coming to Tilsenburg all the time anyway, why don't you move to Delsenburg? And that's what we did. We looked around and uh, we we were there for a week here for a weekend. And we looked at different houses. It was a real estate lady, and then this house, and it's just so much. And uh, you know let's go in. But this house was not on the market yet. They had it, but it had not. Be- um, the the real estate people, I believe, had gone through it to see what it's like to be able to sell it. And uh, I forget her name now, but uh, this lady, she. Uh, she said, we can go in here, and she had uh, called up, yes, you can come in, it's fine. And we came in here at the front door, and uh, the lady that owned it uh, was in the front hall, and come on in, and she was mopping the, the hall in the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, well, that's because we've come to look, and then let's quickly mop it up, you know, how women are. Uh, or these can be. And so we go over I couldn't care less if there was snow footprints on it or what. And we looked around. And then when I came in the kitchen and I looked and I saw this little shed sitting in the back, it a good start for a little workplace. But it was such a big backyard that uh, in Whitby you couldn't expect that anymore because uh, you were lucky if you had any kind of backyard. So uh, I said, and how much is this? So we got to talking uh, about prices and whatnot. And I we came in and uh, we passed through what I call the Four Corners because Broadway and Brock Street, to me, remind me of the Four Corners in Whitby. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we came here and then she said, because I'm I, guess I remember her name. Um, she said, and then up the street, Ralph Street here, that's where the... Telsenburg Hospital is, it is just past the Catholic Church. Well, uh, the church is closed, the hospital is closed, the bank is on the corner, uh, and Mom said, well, I can actually walk up which she has amply used the opportunity of, mm-hmm. like right now. And uh, she likes to walk up town every day. And uh, and that was important because uh, I like to go to Telsenburg for some reason, uh, we had those rice picnics and uh, we were, uh, the rice picnics uh, is from uh, way back when, when things like that were more common and uh, we were invited to go there as if we were a direct family and we weren't because our daughter married somebody who had uh, the mother by the maiden name of rice. So uh, that is that feeling again of small-town Canada, like Whitby, when I first got to Whitby, Whitby was the same thing. And uh, so that is how uh, Mom felt that uh, it uh, uh, you belong. All of a sudden, we don't have a bunch of friends. No, we have a bunch of family. And uh, so... Uh, it made a world of difference, but in the beginning, uh, we left the friends behind and the f- and the family we had uh, in in Bitby. And uh, when you come to a town, then you, there's nobody but your daughter and her husband, and uh, so that is not all that that easy to to switch all of a sudden. And she had her mind in Whitby all the time, but fortunately, Tam being in everything. And everybody in town seemed to have already known her then. And uh, uh, she was doing some kind of a, a food program for kids that needed a, a breakfast program, it was called. And it was run by volunteers. And Mom, why don't you volunteer? I don't know anybody, but you get to know them. And if you don't go, you'll never know them. And there's some very nice ladies there and uh, you can help out. You don't get paid, but... It gets you out and you get to know the town and and because of that, she got to know those uh a couple of ladies um uh, uh, the two of them were uh she worked very closely with and uh Evelyn was one who came actually from timmins and uh she was over here a couple of times and a very nice lady she was a widow and there was another, I forget her name now, and then uh, there was a do at that school. I know it is chronologically not in there, but uh, it belongs in, in that train of thought. And he, uh, there was a do in that school, and they had what they call a dunk tank, and the headmaster, like the, the principal, he volunteered to be dunked in that tank. They sit on a chair and if you get the ball, you pay so much, you know, raising, like a fundraiser, raising money for the school, for the breakfast program. That's why Tim was so involved. And every time somebody hit that board in the back, and I think it had a bullseye on it, and when you hit that, then the, the chair go down and the principal would fall in the water and, all the kids had the principal in the know That was exciting. I even found it exciting. And there was long on the school already. So, no, that was a terrific day. And then they had hot dogs and hamburgers and you name it. There's all kinds of food. And there was, there were two ladies. And they were a little bit colored. Like they were not, uh, not totally white and Uh, They were very friendly, and uh, so, uh, can I have a hamburger, please? And uh, so we get to talk, small talk. The next thing I know, here is two kids, must have been theirs, and they come running through, and then the father comes running through because there was something doing around the corner of the school. And, uh, oh yeah, and then the one lady said, uh, uh. It uh, turns out later on her name was Najila, and her last name was Awadia. But uh, it turns out that, um, yeah, she said, those are my kids, my husband, and them, um, they are going around the corner. I don't know what's doing because I'm serving here at the counter. And this is my sister in law, and hi, how are you? And that was, Sahara was her name. And we get to talk, and the next thing you know, the kids come back and her husband comes back and, uh, oh, uh, I'd like you to meet my husband, Alnor, uh, so we uh, talked to each other for a bit. and uh, and uh, So I gave the name and and then he said, Alnor said, well, in our culture we are not supposed to talk to people older than us and call them by their first name. But they had heard our kids call us or our grandchildren, uh, your kids, mm-hmm. call us Oma and Opa. He said, would it be okay if we call you Oma and Opa? We are allowed to do that. And, uh, well, uh, of course, uh, it, it was kind of, I thought it was an honor to, uh, for those kids to see us as their opa and oma and uh, the friendship followed and to this day it still stands and just as strong as it ever was and they're terrific people and it turns out they were originally from tanzania and he studied at the university of toronto and to put himself through the university he drove truck at night and on the weekends and whenever he had time I don't know what kind of a truck it was, maybe milk truck or whatever, but that is what he did part time to get himself to the university and he bought a house in Tilsenburg because dr Patno the dentist he he uh, he became a dentist that was always his plan, but he had to have special studies here because dentistry from another country wasn't recognized here, so anyway he had a uh, a day or two, a week that he could work over at uh, at Paterno, uh, and, uh, and then he uh, it got better, and he came every day, and that's when he bought a house in uh, in Tilzenberg. and we got to be more and more friends all the time, and uh, yeah, that was a uh, something that happens, and. If we hadn't stopped to have a hamburger at that moment, we would have never known them. But okay, uh, now uh, the, the pictures of the kids are on the fridge here. That is uh, how things can go in life. And, uh, uh, and now I got to see where...
0: No, I think we're almost done. I think you oh, got four was... seconds left. Oh, well, anyway, <laughs> then... Uh, Okay, uh, we're kind of running out of time here, so uh, we'll kind of pick up uh, next week. It sounds like you've got to the good parts of the story where I'm yeah.
1: involved, so yeah, yeah. But part. that <laughs> that day I'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, uh, I never thought I wouldn't have ever dared to uh, to say something like that. No matter how much or how little it might please my future father-in-law, uh, but uh, you know he's up there and. Uh, I'm your potential son-in-law. I, uh, I wouldn't have dared that, but you shook me out of my boots, mm. and I'm glad that it worked. That that it happened that way because I knew that that is exactly what Tam needs. She needs uh, because I was always there for her when if something happened. I took her, if it was good or bad. I was always there. She had to have that sense of security, and. Uh, And Tam, being very family-minded, she needed somebody that uh, she could look after the children. She looks after the family and the family affairs. But she has to have somebody who stands beside her and takes the reins when uh, something uh, from the outside starts to uh, um, infringe on, on their family life. So when I noticed that uh I thought she couldn't have been luckier now uh you gotta be lucky anyway. It could have could have turned on all turned out altogether different. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would have uh, even we have been here now what almost nineteen years, but uh even ten years ago I would have never dreamt that uh that Uh, we would make this podcast together. Well, by myself, I couldn't do it. But uh, you suggested it. And and I thought, well, that's a terrific idea because I wanted to uh, make something with the pictures I had and turn that into a video. And then you said, why don't you make a podcast? So here we are, 43 episodes later. And uh, uh, strong as ever. uh, In fact, to me, better than ever, and uh, I can't picture anything else b- being this. Is, I I I love my life now, and uh, uh, how often would you see where a couple, and they have each their own parents, and that the two sets of parents go out together on a regular basis for dinner, well, before COVID. Mm-hmm. But we went out with your parents, your yeah. parents went out with us, whatever. And we went to the mailtail Inn and uh, many other occasions together. I'm in the hospital, they came and visit together. Uh, it, uh, I could have never dreamt. It was just, uh, I was very lucky at the time that I thought, if it's going to be Tam's husband, stay out of it, because that was my philosophy right from the start. Once they decide to go, it is their bed; They make it, they got lie in it. So, um, if that is what she chooses, we'll see how it goes. Nobody can guarantee the future or foresee it. So here we are. We just finished 40, number 43 and still going. And I know I went off the track a little bit, but... Sometimes for the sake of the continuity of a story, I had to leave my chronological track. I'm not much for staying on that track anyway. The, somehow my memories start flooding in and one thing leads to another and all the years kind of get mixed up. And uh, I try to keep it straight, but I'll sort it out again. and. Hopefully we have another one next week. Yep. We'll, uh, and, uh, and and I'll see that I uh, sort out the leftovers. Sketch out what mm-hmm. I where I been and.
0: Okay. That sounds good. I think we'll finish off here and we'll pick up uh, next week. Thanks. Yeah, and
1: the sun is shining, so uh, we got to go outside. <laughs> okay. See ya.